You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are studying the Gospel of John through this year, and we are at just beyond the halfway point. Uh, Where John has taken us, and as really the entire Bible does, is to focus us on Jesus. And what John is trying to do is to get us to see that Jesus is who he really says he is. He is Lord, God, Savior, and King. But not everyone sees Jesus this way. In fact, there is great opposition to Jesus. There is today. There certainly was then. According to John, the opposition began way back in chapter 5 when we would read this. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, what was he doing? At that particular moment, he was healing somebody on the Sabbath. Because he was doing that, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Now, the opposition, the persecution, only ramped up as the chapters that succeed. We'll see in the story. We saw this last week, in fact, in chapter 11, Caiaphas, the high priest of the day, made a prophecy that Jesus was going to die on behalf of the people. Now, don't misunderstand that. He was not saying that, yeah, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He is going to die for the people's sins. That's what he did. That's not the way Caiaphas was going to see it. His prophecy that Jesus was going to die in place of the people because they're ready to get rid of him. They've had it. They've had enough. And then John records this in chapter 11. So from that day on, they plotted to take Jesus' life. The religious leaders hated Jesus. He said he was God. The religious leaders were like, Look, we have college degrees in God. We teach you. You don't teach us. You're not God. Never mind the fact that Jesus turned water into wine, healed people, fed several thousand with a little boy's lunchable, walked on water, oh, and and raised Lazarus from the dead. But not only does he do supernatural works, then there are also his words. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. And in chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So I ask you, do you believe this? And again, I want you to think, about yourself and your own reaction? What is your own response to who Jesus is for you today? Now, as we've already seen, the first response is that some people hate Jesus. But there are two other responses, two other reactions 
to Jesus that we want to see today. And that is that some people love Jesus and some people simply want to use Jesus. So we pick up our story in John chapter 12 and it opens this way. Six days before the Passover. Now we know that Jesus' time is really short. His life on this earth is within a week because he is going to be crucified near the time of Passover. Six days beforehand, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Now, Lazarus has had a big week, would you agree? I mean, he was dead, he got revived. Now, not resurrected yet, because remember, resurrection is unto eternal life, never to die again. Lazarus will eventually die, then get resurrected, but right now, he's been brought back to life. It's been a big week for him. Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They must have been having a party, don't you think? And what do you get somebody for this party? I mean, I don't think Hallmark has anything for a, I was once dead, now I'm back alive kind of, kind of event. Nonetheless, it had to be awesome. They are having a come back to life party for Lazarus. Here's what you need to know. Human history is a funeral. But human history ends with a party after we've all been raised from the dead, those who belong to Jesus, and that party is called heaven. Well, here in the midst of this party that they're having for Lazarus, the once dead guy, they're also going to honor Jesus, and they're going to have a dinner given in Jesus's honor. Martha served. Well, how many of you are like Martha? Martha is one that's got to have a list, and you check the list, and you feel better. Um, I mean, some of these, some of you folks are probably like ultra Marthas, like you alphabetize your refrigerator, and you dust your light bulbs. That's really way overboard, but maybe that's you. That's okay. Um, if you're really productive, that's Martha. Does she love Jesus? Yes. How does she show her love for Jesus? By doing, by serving. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Lazarus takes it easy. I would too. Lazarus is like, I died this week. So I think I'm going to take some time off. <laughs> then Mary so this is one of the sisters. Remember, it's Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of that perfume. Well, let me unpack this. So we have four Gospels in the, in the Bible that all talk about Jesus. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And three of those, Matthew, Mark, and John, portray this party where Jesus is honored and Mary is anointing him. Now, first, we see that Lazarus loves Jesus and responds to his love by hanging out with him. Martha's doing a lot. She's serving. 
Mary's going to be very emotional. All three of them love Jesus just in a different way. Some of you, your disposition, your personality, your type is more like Lazarus. Let me ask you this about Lazarus. Is there ever anything recorded that he says? No, there's nothing. We just spent a whole chapter of the Bible on this guy and nothing is recorded of what he would say. Lazarus was raised from the dead. There's no recorded words. Mary, she's got a lot to say. Martha, she's got a lot to say. Lazarus doesn't say anything that's recorded. But he lets Jesus be the center of attention. Because everyone's got to be coming up to Lazarus and going, hey, Lazarus, what happened? And, and he would be like, well, I was dead. Now I'm alive. And it's all because of Jesus. And all the attention goes rightly on to Jesus. So let's go back to Mary for a moment. She's very passionate about Jesus, but it's not romantic. Now, some of you are like this. When you're alone with the Lord in prayer, you're, maybe there's tears, you're crying, you're emotional. Some of you are like this in worship. You get expressive in a subtle Presbyterian kind of way. Like your hands almost came out of your pocket during the praise songs. Three times we see Mary mentioned in the Gospels. The first time Jesus is teaching, and where is Mary? At his feet. The second time is that Lazarus is dead. Jesus shows up. Where's Mary when he comes to her? At his feet. And here, Jesus is at their home for a comeback to life party. And where is Mary? At the feet of Jesus worshiping. So she's at the feet of of Jesus learning. She's at the feet of Jesus grieving. She's at the feet of Jesus worshiping. Every time we see Mary, she is at the feet of Jesus. Now, some of you are more like Lazarus. You love Jesus. You may not say a lot, but you love hanging out with him. And when given the opportunity, you will point people to him. Some of you are like Martha. You love Jesus and you serve and you get things done. Some of you are like Mary. You're passionate. You're, you're emotional. You love worshiping and praying and being expressive. Now, the other gospels give us a little detail. I've mentioned this story occurs in three gospels. Here in John, it says that she anointed Jesus' feet with a perfume and wiped them with her hair. The other gospels say that the anointing actually started at Jesus' head. So maybe it's covering his whole body then. And I want you to see that this is a very lavish, very extravagant gift. We're going to read in just a moment that this perfume is the equivalent of a year's worth of wages. So we're talking today fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, and it's only for this moment. It's not a gift that Jesus is going to be using over and over and over. I mean, that's extravagant, right? How many of you have friends that will give you $50,000 presents? Introduce me if you do have those friends. This is a very excessive gift. Let me read this to you from Matthew's gospel. It's a little insight. Matthew 26, 12 and 13, the Lord Jesus had this to say. 
when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus honors her. And in this storyline, no matter which gospel account you read, Jesus is just days away from the cross. He is going to substitute himself and bring about the sovereign plan of God for the forgiveness of sins. He's going to be arrested. He is going to be beaten beyond human recognition. He is going to be crucified between two criminals, and he's going to die a very slow, painful death. And Mary has prepared him for this. It's like he's saying, you know, everyone loves me. I love them. And people have gotten themselves into a circumstance of death that they cannot remove themselves from. And as I die for them, I'm going to remember Mary's love for me and what others did in their love for me. Martha's serving, Lazarus is hanging out, and so on. But Mary is amazing because worshipers are amazing. Do you love Jesus? Now, she's generous as a giver, she's passionate as a worshiper, and she's an extraordinary model for us believers. Some people hate Jesus, some people love Jesus. Some people use Jesus. Next verse. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Now, what no one else knew except Jesus is Judas's true self. Nobody knows that he's a double agent undermining Jesus's ministry. Uh, you know, it, it looks like he's just doing the right thing. John didn't even know until later, reflecting back, because he's been an eyewitness to everything that, uh, that happened in Jesus' life and death, burial and resurrection. John was an eyewitness to all of it. He has authored this gospel, and now he's reflecting back, and he's thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm telling this story, but at that moment in time, we did not know what Judas was really up to. So Judas objects, and this is what he says. This is what Judas' own words. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. All right, so now is Judas, a disciple of Jesus, rebuking Mary, a worshiper of Jesus? Yes, and he's doing it publicly. If he really had concern, he could have pulled her aside and said, Mary, $50,000, really? Or he could have gone to Jesus and said, you know, this just seems a little lavish to me, but it's your call. Instead, he publicly rebukes Mary for the generosity that she wants to give in the presence of Jesus. Well, that's something we need to guard our hearts for and understand that if we are that selfish and self-entitled and self-indulgent, we will find ourselves in that same circumstance. But here is Judas's ultimate problem. 
He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So people would give money to Jesus' ministry, and Judas would say, well, let me do the accounting. Thank you very much for that donation. He's been stealing from Jesus for three years, and no one except Jesus knows this. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. So Jesus is going to validate and vindicate Mary, and he rebukes Judas. Jesus continues, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will, always have, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What Jesus is saying is this. I'm going to the cross, and here is a window of opportunity for a worshiper. She is moved by the Holy Spirit to be generous, and this is an unusual circumstance, and she is absolutely appropriate in giving this generous gift to me. Now, this is the first time that Judas speaks, and what he's talking about is money. Not because he's interested in making sure that he's been a good steward of it. It's because he wants her to give this money so that he can take it. He can steal the money. Oh, but he looks very religious and pious, doesn't he? And yet as the story goes on, we will find that, that Judas has opened himself up to Satan. Okay, so a few things here. Number one, beware of people who are covert. At this point, no one knows other than Jesus who Judas really is and what he's really been doing. For three years, he's been with Jesus. And if you look from the outside, you say, well, he's a great guy. Jesus picked 12 guys and he taught them and loved them and fed them and traveled with them. And Judas is one of those 12 guys. He's got to be a great guy. Nope. He's covert. Let me ask you this. Mary, is she covert or overt? She's really overt. You can tell exactly what she's thinking and, and what she's doing and what she's feeling by her outward display. Judas is very covert. Covert people are sneaky and dishonest. They have to get caught because otherwise they're not going to come clean. And that's Judas. And if that's you, repent of being covert. Be honest and seek change. Another point on Judas, beware of people who worship wealth. We don't worship wealth. We worship God with our wealth. Mary, she worshiped Jesus with her wealth. Judas just worshiped wealth. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not that money is bad. Money is neutral. It's the love of money that's the problem. And there are two kinds of people when it comes to money. There are people who love money and use people and there are people who want to use money to love people. Mary is someone who's using money to love Jesus. Judas is trying to use Mary 
and get at her money because he loves money. And money is sometimes an indicator of the heart. Mary is generous and Judas pretends to be concerned about others, but he's not really. Who's he concerned about? Himself. How about this point? Beware of those who parade piety. Judas sounds very godly. You know, we we could have given this to the poor. We could have made 120,000 sandwiches. This is excessive. And the last one, when it comes to Judas, beware of those who don't understand godly generosity. Mary is generous. And Judas rebukes her for being generous. She's passionate about her words. She's passionate about her works. She's passionate about her worship. She's passionate about her wealth. And Judas rebukes her. He doesn't understand godly generosity. So let me unpack this. In our culture, we tend to think in two categories, rich and poor. And we tend to idolize one and demonize the other. Now, in Christianity, those two categories take on extremely different roles. There are those who hold to a poverty theology which says God hates rich people. He loves poor people. So be poor. But then there's a counter prosperity theology which says, no, God loves rich people. In fact, he just wants to bless you. But I want us to think biblically, not culturally, not economically. The Bible actually gives four categories, not two. There are the godly rich and the ungodly rich, the godly poor and the ungodly poor. Let me pick this story as a a basis for explaining this. Is Mary rich? Evidently. Because if you can give a year's worth wages as a gift, you're doing pretty well. I mean, how many of you could not give a year's worth wages gift? She has enough disposable income to give this away in a moment. And it's a year's worth. She's rich. But is Mary also godly? Yes. All right, what about Judas? Is he rich? Yeah, he makes sure that he is. (laughs) Is he godly? No. Then look at, in this story or any story, is Jesus poor? Yes. And Judas made sure that Jesus was poor. Is Jesus godly? (laughs) Well, he's God, so yes. And then there is a fourth category. There are those who are poor because they're ungodly. They refuse to work. They go after get-rich-quick schemes or they're foolish with their money. Here's my point as your pastor. I don't care if you're rich or poor. I would just ask that you consider whether you're godly or ungodly. Because some of you are godly rich, some of you are godly poor. Now, granted, your economic situation can change. But your worship of God and your stewardship of the things that came from God need to remain godly. 
So we just looked at the story of two rich people. One is godly, one is ungodly. One is giving to Jesus, one is wanting to steal from Jesus. So the issue is not rich or poor in God's eyes. The issue is godly and ungodly. And now for the final section today, your testimony will be tested. Your testimony is your story of God being at work in your life. That is different than a biography. Our culture has biographies. Like, here's what I did to overcome my circumstances. Here's what they did to climb their mountain. Here's what so-and-so did to hurdle his giant. A testimony is here's what God did. So a biography is here's what I did for me. A testimony is here's what God did for me. And for the believer, our life is to be a testimony. Here's where God showed up. Here's what God did. God saved me. God forgave me. God healed me. God delivered me to the glory of God. That's a testimony. And your testimony is incredibly powerful because as people approach you and they ask, is Jesus real? Is the Bible true? Part of what you say is, let me tell you about what God's done in my life. Let me tell you about my Jesus and part of the amazing aspects of my job is that I get to hear and see the testimonies that are happening in your lives as God does things in your life. And you need to know there is power in your testimony. It says in Revelation that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You tell the story of what God has done in your life it encourages others to fall in love with Jesus. So here's the point. Whatever God's done in your life, at whatever point he has forgiven you, changed you, delivered you, that's your testimony. Okay, let's bring this full circle. They were having a comeback to life party for who? It was Lazarus. His testimony is pretty cool, right? But the story goes on. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. You look, if you live in a small town where nothing ever happens, and then you hear Jesus is there, and the former dead guy is, okay, that's where we're going. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Lazarus has got to be thinking, <laughs> again? Remember, he's already been dead once. Okay, you'll get that later. It's like he's dead. <laughs> oh, he's alive. Well, let's kill him. Here's why. For on account of him, what does that mean? That means he's telling his testimony. He's sharing what Jesus has done in his life, even though it's not recorded in the Bible. On account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. 
How many of you met Jesus because someone has told you about him? Well, practically all of us, right? Someone had to tell you about Jesus and how he died on the cross to forgive your sins and be raised to life so that you can have new life. Lazarus is telling everybody, Jesus said he was God. Then he said he forgives sins and that he conquers death and he brought me back to life. You can trust Jesus. And they're like, yay, yeah, we want to be on team Jesus. And the religious leaders decide, well, there's a problem. They're all rushing to Jesus. They're believing in Jesus. I said this last week, for every action, there is a reaction. And for your testimony, there may be opposition to that. If you don't think so, think about this for a second. How many, how many of you do not share Jesus at work? How many of you won't talk about him with your coworkers or your neighbors? Or maybe even in your family. If you were to mention something about your faith in Jesus, you know you're going to get shot down. There will be a test of your testimony but why are they opposing Lazarus' testimony? Is he lying? <laughs> no. He was like, I was dead. Jesus said he was God. He said he was the resurrection and the life. He said that he would forgive sin and conquer death, and he did that for me. Here's what it says in Romans 1.18. Here's why they were opposing Lazarus' testimony. Paul writes, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That's what they were doing. They, those religious leaders, were trying to suppress the truth. Here's Lazarus. He's telling the truth. And the religious leaders show up and say, we're going to argue about that truth. Jesus already told us in John 8, the truth will set you free. But there's always war against the truth. But if you side with the truth and you tell your testimony, you're going to see people be set free. They want to kill Lazarus, not because he's lying, but because the truth he's telling is the most powerful truth in the world and they can't handle it. It sets people free. It changes destinies. It alters legacies. It saves families. It is absolutely the most powerful force in the world. And that is the truth about Jesus Christ. And Jesus paid a price for you. There's a good chance you're going to have to pay a price as you continue with him that's the lesson of Lazarus. Lazarus keeps telling his story, and there are those who are going to oppose him for that story. But there are others who meet Jesus on account of his testimony. So from last week and today, we've seen these three reactions to Jesus. Some people hate Jesus. Some people love Jesus. Some people just simply want to use Jesus. I'm going to pray in just a moment. My, my first question for you to consider is this. 
Do you hate Jesus? If so, God wants to change your heart. Do you love Jesus? If so, God wants to encourage your heart. Are you using Jesus? God wants to replace your heart. We're going to continue in worship so that we can all respond to the Lord Jesus personally. And the first thing we're going to do is partake of the Lord's Supper and remembering Jesus' broken body and shed blood in our place for our sins as our substitute. And then we get to testify that he got out of the grave. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.